You're listening to Behind the Headlines, a weekly news talk show hosted by the Express News Group, publishers of the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27East.com, and Express Magazine, and featuring distinguished journalists from the East End to discuss what's news on the North and South Forks of Long Island. Um, I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group. I'm joined today by my co-host, Annette Hinkle, the arts and living editor of the Express News Group. Good morning, Annette. Good morning, Bill. We are joined by our distinguished panelist, Denise Civiletti, editor of Riverhead Local. Good morning, Denise. Good morning. Joe Workmeister, staff writer at Newsday. Good morning, Joe. Good morning. And Christopher Gangemi, staff writer for the East Hampton Star. Good morning. Hey there. Um, so, Joe, I, I know that uh, the, we were talking before the show, you, you brought up, um, it looks like there's going to be um, a, a lessening of state aid for some local school districts, especially on the East End under um, Governor Kathy Hochul's um, proposed budget. Um, how's how's that looking How, um, to shake out? Yeah, so it's that time of year for uh, state state budget. Uh, uh, the governor working to you know unveil all these different uh, uh, proposals from the budget, and a lot of these things obviously trickle down uh, locally and have an effect um, in local communities. And obviously, the big one is is state aid for schools, and uh, it, it's a little bit of a hit or miss uh, depending on where you are on the island. But there are dozens of districts facing some cuts, and some above. Uh, 10%, and that's uh, including some East End districts, East Hampton, South Hampton included, uh, both uh, are, are among the ones facing um, some of the some of the bigger cuts. And so obviously there's some uh, concerns there. And uh, I think one of the things we saw was, uh, you know, it's been, uh, you know, 2020, the pandemic hit and schools were in this kind of unprecedented uh, um, situation with uh, remote learning and everything. And, and, uh, there was a big push, obviously, for for state aid as, uh, as well as you know, federal funding to kind of help fill some gaps as schools were trying to adapt. And all this money was kind of coming in, coming in, and now it's been four years. And I think you know they're kind of looking at it and, and needing to sort of uh, level off and kind of get back to you know, maybe a more sustainable um, you know level. And I think what the governor is trying to uh, push here is maybe kind of focusing more on the high higher need. Um, districts, um, and and what's one of the interesting things that um, and where we're seeing some of these cuts is the ending this provision in state aid, what they call hold harmless, and that's essentially supposed to mean that um, you aren't going to lose um, you know significant aid from one year to the next, so you can kind of um, I guess sort of predict at least where you're going to be from one year to the next, and um, so this. Um, budget would end that provision that's been in place for a number of years, and you know, so that's why we're seeing you know some of these cuts, uh, at least on the east end. So you know, lo- some of the local lawmakers, both on the Democrats and Republicans, are going to push back on this, and so you know, we it could the final final product might be uh, might see this restored, and and maybe some of these cuts aren't uh, as bad, which we always kind of see this back and forth. It, it, it always fluctuates a little yeah, for right. a couple months, right? Yeah, this this is right. Yeah, this is kind of the, the first first draft, I guess uh, you could say, and um, you know and that's got to um, be al- alarming for some of the the district administrators. I would I would think to see those numbers coming yeah, down. I wonder the, if they had any warning that that was going to happen. 
Yeah, and uh, we quoted uh, East Hampton su- superintendent in, in the story that went up uh, this week, and he called the uh, you know the cuts disappointed and said you know they were hopeful that the leg- legislature will restore some of the funding, and um, you know so I'm sure obviously they're going to have to go into their meetings and budget meetings and kind of assess and try to figure out you know what what happens next on a you know individual district level, but. Um, so yeah, so you know that's kind of uh, where we're at now, and I know uh, Denise covers Riverhead. That's one of the schools that's always been kind of struggling with, you know, fighting for that uh, foundation aid, and their numbers I think mm-hmm. actually look uh, pretty good this year. So with with a small increase, as I said, that, that's true. Yeah, yeah. They're one of the, so, I guess, one of the few districts locally that are actually seeing a raise in it. I just uh, pulled up the governor's executive budget state aid runs, and it looks like overall without. Um, Building aid, um, Riverhead is going to see a more than a four percent increase in total aid, and foundation aid is going up um, more than a million, like one point three million dollars in Riverhead, which is an important. That's an important, as you point number, as you point out, number, um, because that's you know kind of the basis, like foundation for um, you know funding uh, education services in, in the district. Um, so that's very nice locally, but it's because Riverhead's a high need, high needs district, which I think kind of translates into, um, you know, low economic capabilities, uh, and, um, low performance. Um, so those two things together make it, you know, I mean, you don't necessarily want to have that eligibility in, in, in a district, but it's the case in Riverhead. Quick, yeah, looking at quick numbers, and it just seems like yeah, the East End gets really hammered. Yeah, hammered. East Hampton and Shelter Island over twenty yeah. percent. Um, that's a little. That's alarming. Yeah, it's a big number. Well, yeah, and, I was just going to give a quick, uh, quick uh, credit to some of the uh, coworkers that. Uh, uh, on, on the Newsday staff who helped uh, compile all these numbers pretty quickly after the budget uh, came out. So uh, I wasn't working primarily on this story, so I just want to you know, make that clear. So give them a shout out to uh, mm-hmm. getting all these numbers out there and then sorted so people can uh, see them. It's nice to have a staff, huh, Joe? <laughs> nice, nice to have people who know how to work with numbers. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> nice to staff. Maybe that should be the topic. That's got to be alarming for some of the districts, and I know they've all, most of them, have already started. Um, you know their their budget uh, projections for 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 next year, and and I know that everybody's been been really tight. A couple of districts that you know had to. Um, you know, had to break the uh, tax cap last year. And, you know, I'm thinking of, of Springs. I don't know what their numbers look like, but I mean, they're always kind of kind of struggling and, you know, and count and depend on on, on that state aid. Um, you hate you hate to see it drop, uh, you know, drop too much and put them in, you know, in a, in a predicament. We'll certainly keep an eye on that. Like 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 you said, Joe, though, I, I usually, um, you know, the the. Uh, the the assembly members and the senators Fred Fred Deal and you know and and, and Palumbo on, on the east end will will come in and push for a little more and um, mm-hmm. makes for a nice yeah I think it's one of those when, bipartisan when it, uh, issues where everyone's gonna always try to push for to get more funding for schools you know, like, like that goes that's one of those things that goes across party lines out here at least yeah. Mm-hmm. 
There are a lot of other things, too, that impl- are, have big budget implications out here, especially in terms of like, you know, property that's been preserved and taken off the tax rolls. I mean, that's, you know, m- more taxes that other property owners have to pay. Um, and um, in Riverhead, we've got two other things that are make it sort of unique, I think. Um, one's a combination of a lot of vacant commercial land that industrial land that developers are looking to develop and at the same time seeking and largely receiving approval for um, tax abatements or exemptions uh, from the industrial, the town's industrial development agency, which is pretty active. um, And that cuts property tax revenue for the school district. That was the subject of this meeting that I referenced that I attended last night at a local civic association with Senator Palumbo. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also uh, Riverhead has a charter school, which um, is you know located in Riverhead, which is expanding and has draws a, a fair number of students from the Riverhead Central School District. And the school district has to allocate to the charter school um, tuition and um, an increasing per pupil number every every year. And uh, like last year, it was like a $7 million, you know, allocation from this school district's uh, revenue to the charter school, according to the um, the teachers union president, uh, used that number. So, you know, that's kind of a unique situation as things go on the east end where and that's not a one-to-one i mean you know i mean that money goes to the to the charter school and you figure well riverhead's not educating those students but riverhead still has you know the overhead that that they have to pay for whether they have those students or not yeah and there are still other services that um the district has to provide uh for students attending the charter school including transportation um so you know i i mean other people have said, I will, you know, report this that well, Riverhead's got this overcrowding situation in its classroom. So, you know, that's kind of a benefit that people are, you know, putting their children in this charter school, which is expanding now. They're, they established a high school a year or two ago, and now they're, they're looking to expand the high school. Um, and, um, you know, so that kind of offsets things because they don't have to build more classroom, maybe as many more, much more classroom space. Do, do people pay private tuition for that or, or is the money just no. diverted from the school district? It's, it's, it's a private entity. It's run like a private school, but um, it's funded by, uh, but by state law, it's funded by uh, tax property, pay, tax. Tax, property taxes. It's publicly funded. So does that charter school have a specific mission? Because I thought that often charter schools had to have, you know, a, a, an educational offering that wasn't really covered by the local schools. Like we had the CDCH out in East Hampton, which dealt with um, children with disabilities. And they took a mm-hmm. lot of kids that could not be educated by the normal, um, by the regular school systems out there. Yeah, I, that's not the case with the Riverhead Charter School. Mm-hmm. That's um, the case with... Uh, a variety of different charters across the state. Some are, you know, specifically STEM, some are specifically mm-hmm. arts, you know, but it's it's a general uh, education. It started out as uh, elementary, a few elementary grades, and it, it grew those grades to um, where it was like up to eighth grade, and then they started this high school. So, 
and now they want to they're, they're purchasing land um, adjacent to the high school building that they're leasing right now on uh, Sound Avenue and they want to build a, a high school you know bigger high school and athletic fields and that's got its own controversial aspects because uh, some of that land is uh, is preserved farmland. Mm. So I'm not sure how that is going to work out, but um, you know the charter school superintendent is uh, very uh, you know aggressive about it and very passionate about um, his his school district. Well, you can put the put the students out to work in the in the fields, right? I mean, you could you call it a vocational um, program. <laughs> so, um, I, you know, I'll call it edu agricultural education. Mm -hmm. it, re it remains to be seen what's going to happen with that because that has stoked some, uh, you know, op community opposition. Interesting. That's been around for a couple of decades, right? I remember writing about it when it, yeah. when it first opened up in the early 2000s. It first opened up, it was first opened up by, and this is definitely going to tax my flagging memory, but it was first opened up by a, a company that had different charter uh, school operations and um, did not do well. Like, I mean, they, they're out, they're completely out of the picture at this, uh, and they have been out of the picture for a long time. Um, and um, this new entity, which is headed up by Superintendent uh, Raymond Ankrum, um, has been, you know, it was a very different, very different thing. And, um, you know, it's got good, good results. Uh, people were saying last night in the discussion, well, you know, children that are problematic or whatever they can like a private school they can say see ya and you know senator palumbo said you know that boosts their overall uh grades and performance on the school assessments and things public schools of course cannot do that mm -hmm. um so there's I, it's it's a hot it's a very controversial subject of people in the education yeah. field for sure um they can kind of pick and choose right Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, the the revenue that comes out of the school district and, you know, just it's just a controversial thing. I mean, the Riverhead, the educators in Riverhead, the union, the teachers union and and the district administration and school board itself has been opposed to the charter school in Riverhead from the get go. I mean, like vocally opposed, objecting to expansions at the state education department and, and such. So. Um, we'll, we'll keep yeah. an eye on that. Yeah, it's ongoing. You're, you're listening to Behind the Headlines on WLIW um, 88.3 FM. I'm Bill Sutton from the Express News Group. My co-host this week is Annette Hinkle from the Express News Group. And our panelists this week are Denise Civiletti from Riverhead Local, Joe Workmeister from Newsday, and Christopher Gangemi from the East Hampton Star. So, um, so Chris, the uh, the the hedges in in East Hampton took took another another hit this week, huh? Another uh, car plowed right into it. Yeah, and they're looking for solutions. Um, if you you know, it's it's a little local, but when you're driving down twenty seven going east, you, as you enter into East Hampton Village, there's a a right angle turn left and. In it's the summer, really it's not sharp. an issue. It's a it's a it's a straight up right angle. And so, in in the summer, it's not an issue because there's traffic. Um, but overnight, um, you know, this this last crash happened at one in the morning. Um, the the police chief called it basically like a runway 
And that's really what it is. I mean, these wow. kids were running from the cops. Um, there were four teenagers, eight, one 18-year-old and three 17-year-olds in a car going 90. And to evade the cops, they turned off their lights and missed the turn completely. It hit the curb or, you know, the, this little piece of land and then flew into the hedges in and then the car was embedded in the porch so that sounds crazy but it's almost exactly the same thing that happened in november of 2022 when a, a cab driver fell asleep at the wheel and i guess as he fell asleep he just put his foot down on the gas and he also drove at a very high rate of speed caught air and landed in their patio so this is twice in just over a year where the hedges in his uh you know, taking airborne cars um, into its. Uh, and, and there've been a couple of accidents where some cars ended up in the pond, right? Mm-hmm. The town same, pond. Yeah, yeah, the same intersection, I think. <laughs> yeah, the, be- the beleaguered town pond. Yes, yeah. it's uh, that's another issue altogether. But what yes. happened to those kids? Were they hurt? Uh, thankfully, no. And so that they they were not badly injured. Although the police chief said that there were planks from the porch that had pierced the car and oh my God. basically just missed them, you know? Um, so they could have been impaled, but they were not. They all were transported to the hospital with minor injuries and they're okay. So now this has led to the discussion of like what to do at that spot. There's that's where town pond um, ends basically. And there is a swath of, of, of land, uh, We've editorialized that it should become um, like a really heavy bioswale, like as there is on the other end of Town Pond and perhaps slow people down at least a little bit. Mm. Um, I believe that the mayor is they're looking to put in some kind of net, uh, which would be then hidden by by a plants, a, a net like the kind that uh, catches um, like 18 wheelers out of control off of a highway. You're talking uh, like a runaway truck ramp we need there. Exactly, the of, exactly uh, like a runaway tra- truck. But I'm not sure if that's feasible. If you're going 90, I don't know. Yeah. You know, you're you're 10 feet away from this this ramp. I'm not sure what's going to happen. Um, so it's, thing, it's like it's interesting because there is at some point people have to kind of take responsibility to not drive straight through intersections at 90 miles an hour. You know what I mean? Like how much responsibility is at the village to like say you turn left here? I mean, you know, I don't know. Yeah, it's it is. Uh, uh-huh. it is if, you're the, if you're the owner of the hedges in, you, you kind of want the village to do something, I would think. <laughs> I guess. Otherwise you're going to yes. put up a wall of your own or something. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, if you put up something really hard, uh, you know, which has yeah. been suggested by some, then you you just have fatalities. Right. Did they say what what um, sparked the initial police chase? The kids were going 90. Um, okay, so they caught them speeding. Yeah. They caught them speeding. Wow. The police turned on the flashers, started, you know, after them, and they uh, turned off their lights to evade the cops. The the, the boy who was driving, um, I, I believe, thought he had some kind of infraction on his license, which is why he told them he was running so aggressively from them. Turns out he didn't. Um, so... It was it's just one of those crazy stories. And I don't think the kids were from out on the East End, so they didn't know the roads at all, I'm guessing. True. And that also mirrors what happened in 2022. Mm-hmm. Well, that guy fell asleep. I mean, even if you know the roads and you fall asleep, you're not in a good position if you're no. driving. 
Right. Please just stop. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah but I mean, it is at least we refreshing. And, and look, we all made bad choices as 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 kids, but um, it's scary because they could have ended up much, much oh, worse. Yeah. Mm hmm. Do you want to tell us some of the choices you made, Bill? No, yeah, I do not. <laughs> I do remember being up on top of with with my my mother's Chevette being up on top of a uh, snowbank and and being stuck uh, oh, one 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 winter day. Um, but um, I'll I'll stop there. Okay, I want to hear about that one. <laughs> it, it was just uh, it was youthful inexperience <clears throat> driving and weather conditions and having a car full of um, other teenagers that were, were distracting. Yeah. And that leads to why oh, our insurance rates so high. Yeah. And, thank uh, you, Bill. There Thanks you go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's, uh, let's switch tax. We'll see what the village does there. I, I think it's, there's an argument there that, that, you know, that something needs to be done that, that, that can be a very, dangerous intersection especially i guess off season or or whatever people aren't familiar maybe maybe it's a lighting issue i don't know if at three o'clock in the morning cars are you know shooting through there with their lights off i don't know we'll see what happens yeah well and luckily last point is that the hedges in is closed in the winter where it open you could that that's why it's such a dangerous situation if this yeah. is happening overnight in the summer and you have people you know dining or you know, in a room yeah. And, and yeah, that's yeah. where it's a real issue. So yeah. uh, for one reason or another, we had a, a series of um, motor vehicle crashes into the former, what was the pizza hut? Remember that Joe? Um, yeah. yeah. I, yeah it was a bunch of I, I, it was like a weird thing. And I mean, cars actually entered the building. People were in the restaurant eating. I mean, I don't know how people, really didn't get seriously injured in any of those incidents. Was, but, was that before uh, the traffic circle? No. Hmm. <laughs> the pizza I, I, was just that good, Denise. Just, I don't know. And then breaking down the doors to get it there. Yeah. And then ironically enough, uh, like about a week after one of those incidents, someone drove right into another pizza place oh. in the King Colin shopping center on Route 58. So there were a lot of like drive-through pizza jokes running around social media that I, week. But I feel like every May we have a car jump the curb in Sac Harbor and mm -hmm. drive into a storefront. That seems to be a tradition too. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so. it's like, it's not summer until someone jumps the curb <laughs> in Sac Harbor. <laughs> but it's scary. Well, good thing the kids were okay, but like, you know, yeah. that's like, that's a nomination for a Darwin award right there. If there had been a different outcome, 90 mm -hmm. miles an hour with your lights off. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. That's I mean, not smart. But maybe their parents will take the car away for at least a little while. Uh, they're probably going to sue the town for having an unsafe turn or something in the <laughs> road. I, I just wonder know. what the hedges in um, like insurance policies like. Mm, good. That, that's an interesting. They're, they're paying more now. You can. <laughs> you got a follow up story, Chris. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Let's uh, let's let's uh, turn a little bit west to 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 Watermill. Joe, you wrote a story this week. Um, Southampton Town. It, it looks like may may be poised to spend um, um, you know a first chunk of the community housing fund money um on a on a, a parcel in watermill to be used for affordable housing and they had a, they yes. had a public hearing on it 
on the on the right. acquisition. So, yeah, yeah, this, this seemingly came together pretty pretty quickly, and um, it, right. So you know, the voters approved the new half percent uh, uh, real estate tax, and now mm-hmm. can be used toward affordable housing initiatives, similar to the community preservation fund that's been in place for uh, more than you know two decades now, and. Um, so the, the towns that have uh, adopted into this have started collecting money for that uh, since April. And in Southampton now, they have a little over $5 million, I think, what was accounted for from April through about November. And uh, so the town now has this parcel in Watermill, uh, which is about 3.8 acres, I believe, that uh, they're considering uh, buying for a little over $4 million uh, from that fund, which would be the first kind of major um you know, expense uh, out of that fund uh, toward an affordable housing initiative. And uh, so the goal there, if the board approves this purchase, would be to uh, acquire this land and then you know, use that to develop uh, even either a rentals or kind of a, a, a townhouse um, for purchase. Uh, you know, the board would have to decide, you know, how they want to go that, which way they want to go. Um, uh, some of the uh, people I talked to kind of preferred uh, developing rentals there. That would you know, be uh, an option. And I think the uh, area would allow up to about 36 units, I think would be the max that they could mm-hmm. um, ultimately do. But so there's a number of steps that would have to happen. You know, the town board would have to approve um, spending this money to acquire it. Uh, they had a public hearing. Everyone was in for was uh, spoken in for, in favor of it, and uh, the people from the uh, Watermill uh, Citizen Advisory Council that sort of serves as a liaison between the community and board. Uh, you know, said it was presented at one of their meetings, and they had a pretty pretty decent crowd there, and everyone um, you know was in favor of it. Which is you know, anytime you get some kind of development proposal and you hear people are in favor of it, you know, it's kind of like whoa, you know. It's, so it's a little it's a little surprising because you get a lot of yeah it's exactly you're so used know. to just immediate pushback on anything um so you know it, it, we'll see if maybe some you know resistance uh rises up uh, uh before this goes through and you know if there's any pushback but from what people are saying you know they think it's a pretty good location um on montauk highway um you know it's not in a, a necessarily a surrounded by other uh, developments too closely, uh, you know, decent enough uh, proximity to some key areas in town. And what, what people were really excited about was it brings some affordable housing east of the canal where, you know, a lot of these initial affordable housing kind of uh, developments all sort of get clustered um, more toward the Western portion, portion of the town. And so as, you know, as you guys know, obviously, even if you're living out in Hampton Bays and have to go east, that could take still a very long time, uh, depending on you know summer traffic. So, you know, people seem excited by this, um, but you know, as I said, still a long uh, a number of steps still to happen. But, you know, the town could uh, approve the purchase, I think, as soon as its next meeting. Um, so we'll see if it comes up on the agenda or if they want to you know, talk about it some more. Um, I guess depending on what kind of feedback they got um, from written comments um, as the public hearing remained open. Um, so um, well, it's, it's yeah. exciting. It's exciting to see the town, um, you know, have a, have enough money in you know in, in its coffers from from the new CHF to to be able to look at purchasing some property. And I know that the town has had some some success with a couple different developments one in one in 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 Spionk about about that same size you know 20 to 20 to 30 units so they've got a little bit of experience with that i guess um 
you know, we would would see, you know, what what the final plan is, what the town puts forward. But it's it's encouraging that that the town is is moving forward with that, and and that uh, the neighbors seem to be on board with it. Yeah, and they would have to bring on um, a, you know, like a, a nonprofit on board, um, such as you know Long Island Housing Partnership or, or, or you know one of those type of uh, um, organizations. And I think they would eventually do a, you know put out a request for proposals to see uh, who they could bring on, and they would help work in terms of uh, development and and um, you know eventually maintaining um, whatever gets built and and through all that. So you know obviously this money just would cover kind of acquiring. The land, so there's still, you know, uh, you'd have to still uh, first step. Uh, you got to do that. Yeah. Does anyone know how sales have been at the Watermill Crossing? Um, that that those townhouses that were put up. I I don't I don't know yet. that. Yeah, I mean, I I watched that go up, and I, I thought. Mm man, this, this should be affordable housing spot. I mean, it's, it's right there near the bus stop and that, you know, and then also now we have two and a half to, I think $3 million townhouses. And I personally, you know, when I buy my $3 million townhouse, it's not, it's not going to be by the bus stop and watermill. So I'm not quite sure how that went, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I always wonder how those things sell in general. It just seems like anytime, you know, we've had condo developments, they haven't flown off the shelf, you know? Yeah, it's weird. Similar one. I don't know what it was called called on County Road 39 in Southampton. That was really slow, too. I mean, they built it and and it just wasn't moving. But I I don't know if the pandemic changed some of that, made made Mm. them more because the housing stock, you know, decreased um, the availability of of homes, private homes. um, You know, they were all snapped up during the pandemic. So that might have made some of the um you know condos and townhouses a little more a, a little more attractive people coming in i'm, I'm not, i don't know i'm just i'm mm. speculating a little bit but again in, encouraging um to see southampton catch up a little bit too i mean east hampton's got a couple projects um you know in in the works right now that i don't know necessarily depending on community housing fund but um you know, East Hampton seems to have been ahead of the curve, you know, compared to, to Southampton for um, a few years now. So it's good to see Southampton kind of catching up now. Um, you're listening to Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM 88.3. I'm Bill Sutton from the Express News Group, my co-host this week, and that Hinkle from the Express News Group. And our panelists are Denise Cibaletti from Riverhead Local, Joe Workmeister from Newsday, and Christopher Ganjemi from the East Hampton Star. Um, so I, I wanted to, uh, Denise, you, you wanted to talk a little bit about possible um, zoning changes near near or, or underneath the, what what's the Tanger Mall right now, right? Oh yeah, the the um, town uh, town officials in Riverhead. Um, in conjunction with executives from the Tanger organization, prepared um, zoning code amendments to the zoning that applies there, which is this overlay district, kind of like a floating zone um, that was adopted in 1992, um, obviously before Tanger was built. And um, the changes would essentially open up that zoning, which right now is um, restricted to um, 
Well, the idea behind it is to restrict the uses there to manufacturers outlets. And it hasn't quite always worked out, but um, you know, you go there and there are stores, um, you know, with their brand names like, you know, Ralph Lauren and like Gap and Levi, et cetera. Um, and um, you go there and you shop for those brands in those stores. Um, and the current zoning, uh, how it was originally enacted, prohibits things like sit-down restaurants. They can have food courts. Um, it prohibits non-manufacturer outlet retail uses. And um, the code amendments would open it up to allow those non-manufacturer retail uses. So kind of like general retail stores, as well as sit-down restaurants, limited by the number of counters that are in it, that would have to replace existing food courts in mm. an outlet center. And um, and they're, they're, the number of tables are geared toward how many food counters are in. So if you have a food court with like six different purveyors of, uh, of food, um, it's 25 tables per counter. So per, you know, seller in the food court. Um, and they would it would allow um, re sit down restaurants with alcohol service, um, and it makes some other tweaks to the zoning. There's already uh, there's already a, a, a provision that allows uh, movie theaters there, but it makes some changes to that that have been said are necessary to actually attract mo a movie theater there. Um, it would uh, now allow like specialty food markets, such as like they threw around the name, like Trader Joe's, which everybody, you know, was drooling to have out here. Um, so, you know, it's the, the manufacturer's outlet zoning was kind of controversial when it was proposed in the early 1990s, um, stoked a whole lot of community discussion, opposition, people in favor of it. Um, and what, what, it's, what it's, it's kind of the same thing. That's going what what on prompted there. all this? I mean, is it is it well, the Tanger people that that want? I, I mean, there were there were always plans to expand that a little more, right? I mean, you've got Tanger one and two, but I think there was room for 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 another section, right? Well, there's also, I mean, they already have Tanger three, which is where like uh, West Elm and Pottery Barn are. You can oh, see okay. that. So I think uh, like it it sounds like what prompted this is. Tanger approaching town officials and saying, we need some uh, assistance here to um, kind of weather the storm in terms of, you know, changes in the retail economy. Mm. Uh, we all know there are a lot of changes in the retail economy and, uh, you know, precipitated by the you know, on online shopping, uh, so-called e-commerce now. Right. So, um, you know, I guess they're feeling it. There. Which I know nothing about, but it would seem to me that that having the you know the um, the the outlets there, which are you know I mean second day sales or or, or whatever overstock or or whatever kind of is is an advantage in itself because it's it's not you know you know people aren't aren't getting that stuff from from you know from the retailers' websites or from from Amazon or. Or or whatever, um, I don't know. I mean, is it not busy up there? It it 
It sure is. I, I don't know. I mean, like, I, I don't know if they're not. They haven't shared. They wouldn't speak to us for the story that we yeah. did in advance of this. And they wouldn't speak to us. Um, the town released a draft of the code amendment that was like um, the kind of draft where you can see people's comments and, you know, who made them and what they were you know saying. Yeah. And their Tanger executives were on that draft. Mm. making comments on it. So they work closely with the town on this. Um, and the town board is advocating for it as our town, other town officials like the community development director and the deputy town attorney who worked on it. Um, but, you know, it's, I mean, look, yeah, retail is changing. Um, um, you know, on my screen this morning, there's about Macy's laying off workers and closing stores. We've seen store closings in, you know, locally and across the country. Um, but, you know, I think the same factors in the economy that are uh, affecting Tanger are also affecting these other retailers that right. we, that Riverhead set out to attract to Route 58 when it adopted this destination retail zoning in, back in like 2005. Um, Tanger was built a little more than a decade before that zoning was put in place. But, you know, I, I think the town is recognizing that these retail uses on 58, which the town was anxious to cite there and which have done well in Riverhead and done well in terms of, you know, sales tax revenue for the county. Um, you know, it's a successful commercial corridor uh, for the for the retailers and the developers. Um, and I think those same factors are affecting their viability. So one of the developers, uh, a, a commercial developer in town, uh, Richard Israel, um, spoke uh, very um, passionately against the, this zoning code change for the manufacturer's outlet zoning at the hearing Wednesday evening, um, because he said that this would undercut Route 58's competitive advantage. It's going to hurt the retailers there, and it could do real serious damage downtown as well to the prospects of downtown. And that was a big fear back in 1992 when this was first discussed, that, that manufacturers outlet zoning, when they first created that district, um, you know, what would it do to downtown, particularly with restaurants and things? So they were very specifically prohibited, you know, restaurant uses there and markets and stuff. Um, and so there's still that worry. I was actually reading the minutes of the one of the hearings on this proposed zoning back in 1992. And the president of Sweezy's spoke to your point, Bill, about this other uh, the availability of the products that you typically see in manu manufacturers outlets uh, centers and, and how, you know, they're available everywhere. He, he was making the case back then that a manufacturer's outlet center was pretty much like a fallacy. Like you could get discounted overstock seconds, you know, everywhere people, people buy them. He said, Sweezy's bought them from manufacturers and, mm -hmm. you know, that it was just kind of like illusory. And he predicted that it was really going to hurt downtown and hurt Sweezy's in particular. And I, you know, I'm not sure if, if the outlet center was like the final nail in the, you know, specialty department store, you know, coffin back then, but, you know, Sweezy's did fold up. I mean, it was uh, well, downtown's like yeah, biggest a lot tenant. Of department stores, you know, yeah, across yeah. the country. But I mean, I, well, I mean, 
you know, what's ailing downtown and what was ailing downtown back in the 1980s and the 1990s was the building up of Route 58 before big box retail. I mean, you know, the retail stores went to the highway where they had plenty of parking and they were modern stores and, you know, and downtown just sort of, you know, languished and kind of rotted, <laughs> fell in on itself. I mean, uh, in a lot of ways for a lot of a variety of reasons, but, you know, that just isn't how people shopped anymore, you know? Right. So, you it's know, been kind of a renaissance, a, a, a kind of a renaissance downtown though. Right. I mean, with the, with, with the theater and, and with some, you know, specialty restaurants and, you know, more mom and pop restaurants instead of the chains. Right. Well, I mean, that's certainly the hope, but at this point I would say it's still kind of a hope Yeah. more than anything else. If you look around downtown um, and it's a hope that's been, you know, expressed and sought after since I came to Riverhead in the mid 1980s. Well, that's why this sounds funny to me, because it sounds like there's a zoning change to help this, the the Tanger outlets and then the downtown, like I drove through the other day. And every time I drive downtown through Riverhead, I say to my girls who are probably sick of hearing it, like, man, this place could be so cool. Like, you know, it's yeah. what's wrong with this. And and then you, you, you know, you drive two miles away and there's all this these chain stores and i always feel like that's what's wrong with this so it seems kind of strange that like you have these manufacturer outlets being like whoa you know we're getting hurt by the internet and it's like 2024 and it's like that's happened like forever what's changed right now i don't know it seems weird to me maybe it's like hit a critical mass for them i'm not sure like i said they wouldn't talk to us so we couldn't get their their point of view on that but um but yeah i agree i mean Town, the town's uh, director of economic development, planning and community development um, said that, well, downtown is a different kind of economy. But, you know, I don't know exactly don't know what, what that means. means. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I mean, it's not going to be retail, I think, is what that means. Like, I, you right, know, yeah. retail has gone. So it's a different kind of thing. Um, but it, but it, certainly it, it depends. It's depending. It's hope. You know, it's depending on restaurants and uses and stuff like that as well. I mean, so well, I don't yeah, know. So I mean, if I you let think... them out to the manufacturing area, it seems like it would hurt the downtown even more. But, you know, to me, but I don't know. That's that's the thought. I, just, I, mean, I, I wonder Mr. how much Israel of that. I mean, Tanger seems to be kind of a destination in, in itself. And, and I think regionally, I mean, but mm-hmm. but also, I mean, you've got people being bussed in from the city. They spend the day you know, shop to shop to shop or store to store to store it in, in, in Tanger. And and I don't think that those people are then going to main street for, you know, for, for lunch or, or going to, you know, even to, to the restaurants on 58, they're kind of stuck, um, you know, stuck where they are. So maybe that, you know, the idea of having more restaurants there, I, I, I don't know if, it, yeah. I, I guess my I mean, point honestly, is I that never worked same. out that way. Uh, I, I, mean, I don't know people, if it's the same clientele. Um, it was an attraction that brought people in from out of town, whether they were coming from, you know, Orient or Manhattan or Queens, right. like it drew people. And the thought, you know, back then reading through these minutes, it's like, you know, well, this is going to bring people to town. So then they're going to go shopping and then they're going to go here and they're going to go there. And it really didn't work out that way. And it wasn't for lack of, of trying by a lot of people. I mean, there was this time when, 
when they had a ferry that um, a ferry, I'm sorry, a trolley <laughs> that went from the ferry someday soon with the uh, you know rising floods and uh, rising tides. But like they they where they had a trolley that went from Tanger, went downtown, circled huh. around, and you know, unfortunately, like I mean, it's it's a complicated situation, and there was not a lot for people to go to downtown. You know, that's a problem. You get on the trolley, come downtown, and it's like, well, and this and the things that are there, like close down early or they're not open on weekends. I mean, it was there. It's a lot of layers, this yeah. whole issue. And, um, you know, starting with like a lot of downtown, a lot of Main Street was owned by one company that didn't really do anything to modernize its buildings. And, yeah. you know, uh, and wouldn't. So it was like, you know, when they they finally sold, oh, you know, sold out. Uh, they own the Sears building, they own one of the Sweezy's buildings, that kind of thing. And the buildings are, you know, decrepit, you know, out of town landlords. Well, um, be interesting to see what happens as as the as the town, you know, continues to try to 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 build up Main Street to, you mm -hmm. know, to Chris's point. It it you know, it, it could be better and and I and I think they're they, you know, they're, 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 they're trying to make it better. And you, you've got the village green coming in and, um, you know, and trying well, to draw people to, to main street. I mean, the idea of making it a neighborhood where people live, I think is fundamentally a good idea. I yeah. mean, you know, um, you have to allow other uses that serve the people that live there, like grocery stores and things like that, which we're not seeing a lot of yet. Um, but you know, presumably that will come along, right? I mean, if there's a demand, but if it's like they want to have a walkable community where people are not car dependent and, you know, but they need to be able to buy groceries and to get yeah. certain, like get the things that they need right there. Mm -hmm. Not to mention get to work, which, you know, there's no public transportation. There's so mm -hmm. many layers. It's my, it, gonna... it hurts my head to even think yeah. about it. Well, who's going to take the risk to open a grocery store there though when you have 58? Right there, yeah. you know. I mean, it's always going to be hard to compete you, with that. What do you have? Four, five supermarkets on Fifty Eight right now. Yeah, yeah. but if How the people you... who live downtown can't readily get to Fifty Eight, then yeah. then you've got a market there. I, I, you know, I mean, but I think it's also a fallacy to think that people who are moving downtown are not going to have vehicles because they can't get to work otherwise. Like I, right. you know, um, so there's a lot of pieces that need to fall into place for all of this to work. But I think making downtown a neighborhood, I think, is fundamentally a sound idea for planning. So um, well, I'm we'll see what happens. Trying to do that with all with all the apartments down there. Absolutely. Right? Yep. So I have to look for that crystal ball. I have it hanging around here someplace. <laughs> Come on, Denise. <laughs> This is uh, behind the headlines on WLIW FM eighty eight point three and and 96.9. I'm Bill Sutton from the Express News Group. My co-host this week is Annette Hinkle from the Express News Group, and our panelists are Denise Civiletti from Riverhead Local, Joe Workmeister from Newsday, and Christopher Gangemi from the East Hampton Star. Uh, Christopher, you wrote uh, you wrote this week um, um, a, a story catching up uh, Adam on the Adam Potter proposal in Sag Harbor, and you referenced he was at a at a planning board meeting um, late late last year. Um, what uh, what are the developments there? So, you know, this proposal is for the 
what what he calls the backyard of of Sag Harbor. It's this parking lot off of the main street, and he wants to build a large mixed use building, It'd be like ten thousand something square feet of retail with twenty uh, market rate apartments and now nineteen affordable apartments and most of the criticisms have been about you know traffic parking uh, the way flooding. it looks flooding exactly it's um uh in that area of the village is a, a flooding is a real problem um but two people spoke up at that meeting and talked about something that i i don't really feel has gotten a lot of discussion yet which is the four contributing historical structures that would have to become that would have to come down mm. um no matter what and adam potter makes the argument is, is that, that a, let me inter- is that in the historic yep. district mm-hmm. it is uh, yeah it, it, the whole village i believe is is wrapped yeah. in the historic district but not every building within the village is what's called a contributing structure right. to the historic district so it's like 870 something buildings I believe it started in the 70s and it was far less maybe in the 400s or 500s and then it was expanded in the 90s it was then 870. i asked the building department how many there are now like how have, have some come down but they don't track things like that hmm. um but th- it, there are four structures in his in the lots that he owns that are considered historic and another which is actually arguably the nicest that um, is not contributing, but will be if the district is expanded again. So, you know, say four or five um, that are going to have to come down. Um, and his argument is kind of like, look, these aren't like John Germain Library. They're not the Welling Museum. They're these, you know, these little mm-hmm. tiny houses from 1900. And um, the real important thing is we remediate the land underneath. And so that's, you know, he's he's posing this choice. It's either I can clean the land underneath or you can have your historic buildings. And he's said, you know, look, I'll move these wherever anybody wants to move them, Um, which some people think is okay, And some people say you can't just move historical buildings and have them speak the same language they were speaking before you know it's you know so it's this that's an interesting question what makes it what makes those buildings historic is it is it the building itself or or you know the the placement and and you know and the ambience of the, that created the you know that that area yeah well zach uh student roth uh, who is the town's like historical cons- uh, consultant made an interesting point he's like south main street where you have like John Germain, you have those old captains, you know, houses, you know, that that's one area of town. But then there's this other area where, yeah, it was flooded and you had these kind of not spectacular buildings. That also tells a story of the evolution of the village. And, right. you know, I mean, and that's that's an important story from historic from a historian's perspective as well just to say oh yeah they're in a flood zone they're kind of crappy buildings like let's take them out of here may move the like may not really do you know justice to the historical story of the, the village hmm. yeah. i think that his the the, the new tact at the, that meeting which is pretty interesting he said you know there's three words i want everybody to think about orange arc and scheme and orange was because the water that comes from the ground there is kind of orange Mm -hmm. you know 
it, it, it's it's not healthy looking. That's very true. So you can't argue with him there. Arc was because, you know, you, he was saying people worried it's a flood zone, but he's like, look, we don't have to build an arc. You know, you can build in a flood zone. You can engineer around this. But schemes to me seemed like a bit of a new tact where he was now kind of like, look, uh, you know, stop with these personal attacks. Like, you know, um, uh, Safe Side Harbor has been coming at him pretty aggressively. Um, I thought that was an interesting development in a way in his in his argument where he's just like, hey, man, like, let's talk about this, you know, in a rational way. Like, let's stop being you know, petty and calling each other names. And so I don't know, maybe he's getting a little tired of it. And maybe, maybe, maybe he's learning know. what Sag Harbor's really always been about. So mm. nothing goes swinging. easy there. I mean, he keeps swinging. I'll give him that. He, yeah. he keeps coming back and, uh, <clears throat> you know, trying to, trying to gain, yeah. gain support. I have to say, I walked around there um, before writing the article and tried to look at it um with fresh eyes i mean i've lived here for you know 20 something years and i can't say i really have much um i don't know what what uh attachment to that particular area in the village i mean i feel like whenever i'm walking down rose street i'm kind of worried about cars or um uh you know so i don't i don't shop at dodds and eater or colette or any of the that that the places that have been there i've kind of relatively like ignored it's off of my radar um and i i kind of like those little houses i mean you know i uh there's some beautiful trees in there and uh, you know i don't know i you used to have spots I, cafe down there do you ever go to spots that was a little that little white house in the corner they'd served like breakfast and lunch it was the greatest little like no that, like that's a, before the time it felt like a, it was like a little house restaurant. It was really adorable. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, that sounds great. I mean, yeah. And I feel like that parking lot, you know, Kid Squid um, and the and the movie theater, there's there is more energy back there now. Um, and, uh, and and, you know, Yoga Shanti has been now a mainstay for a while. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It's true. We'll keep uh, we'll keep an eye on it. We are. um we are just about out of time. Um, this has been Behind the Headlines. Um, I'm Bill Sutton from the Express News Group. My co-host was Annette Hinkle from the Express News Group. Our panelists, thank you very much to our panelists, Denise Civiletti from Riverhead Local, Joe Workmeister from Newsday, and Christopher Cangemi from the East Hampton Star. Good show, guys. Thanks a lot. Thanks.